The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So a few reflections again this morning. As mindfulness gets a little more established, um, as there's a little bit more of a recognition of some degree of continuity and certainly doesn't have to be perfect at all. Um, But as there's a little bit more of a sense of being present, it can also um, be helpful. So this is a little bit of a doing, a little bit of an extra thing to check into. Um, When you are aware Again, if, if it only, only if it, this can be a light touch, especially in daily life. In the sitting, you're welcome to play with this you know, several times during a sitting. Um, but in daily life, you know, if, like during your chores, for instance, this might be an interesting place to explore this when there's a little bit more of an exploration of continuing, having a, a more continuous mindfulness. And that is to check into what is the relationship what is your relationship to your experience there's different ways that relationship might what we might have a relationship to so we might have a relationship to the thing that we're doing or to the experiences that we're having Um, so you know while you're eating you might be noticing pleasant sensation and um there's an, there's an attitude in the mind, maybe seen, maybe unseen, of, oh, liking this, enjoying this. And so um, just checking in, you know, what's, what's my relationship to this? Or maybe you're chopping vegetables and, um, um, and the tea kettle goes off and there's a feeling of, ugh, you know, a contraction and uh, a feeling of rushing, needing to uh, get the tea kettle off the stove or something like that. So, so there's relationships that we may have to what's happening aside from just the bare sense experience of what's happening. Um, and then there's also a relationship that we may have to um, the practice or the being mindful. It's like sometimes when we're um, attending to our experience pleasant or unpleasant, there can be an attitude of, um, um, oh, I'm doing this well, or, uh, you know, congratulating oneself or beating oneself up. I'm, I'm not doing this well. I'm, my mind keeps wandering and um, this, is, this is a problem. So there's, there's relationships not only to what's happening, but also to this practice itself. And so the, both of those pieces are in there. Um, so first I want to just check in, does this notion of relationship to experience make sense to you? Any questions about that piece of it? Okay. Um, so you can check into the relationship, you know, just a light question from time to time, you know, maybe at any time when you become into awareness, if you're not in the midst of some other activity, oh, become aware. So there's the, the, the noticing of the awareness. And if that awareness lingers a little bit, then what's my relationship to this experience? You don't have to 
um, decide whether you know you're looking for the relationship to what's happening or to your mindfulness itself just check in and what's the relationship to this sometimes a question a different question might be is there something else going on here so so this is kind of broadening our uh, you know, I've been ex- encouraging a broadening of the attention all week um, but this is a, a particular way to encourage broadening of the attention. Checking in, what's my relationship? What's my attitude is the, is the uh, language that Saito Utejaniya uses for this. Um, and then, you know, when we use questions like this in our practice, it's not about trying to figure it out. So we're not dropping the question in and then trying to figure out, well, what's my attitude? Is it this? Is it this? The using questions like this is just to kind of orient the attention, um, and sometimes something will become clear, and sometimes it won't. If it, if nothing is clear, you do not have to try to figure it out. Just go on with whatever is happening. You know, go on with your day, or if there's mindfulness continuing, just notice what you're aware of. So, um, so this use of questions in practice is a kind of an art form in and of itself because often when we use questions in our mind we want to think about it and that is not what I'm suggesting so if you find that the question generates more thought just let it go you, you, don't, have to, you don't have to go there um, so a little bit about the kinds of relationships that you might notice um, just briefly I've often done whole Dharma talks (laughs) on this topic. Um, So there's four basic flavors of relationship that we we might have. Uh, The three um, of greed, aversion, delusion. Um, Like, you know, so there's something pleasant, we like it, we want more of it. That movement towards wanting things to continue, wanting something to happen, that movement towards something. Um, the the movement of aversion, not liking something, something unpleasant usually, wanting to get rid of it, wanting to fix it, change it, um, fear, um, anger, that kind of uh, relationship to experience. The, the relationship of delusion is a little more complex, and I won't try to describe the entirety of that right now. Um, there's two things I'll point to around that. One is that sometimes it feels like there's a numbness or a disconnection. And so sometimes we can notice that. Sometimes the disconnection takes us as far as non-mindfulness. But sometimes um, there can be a sense of, yeah, I'm aware, but it feels like there's this fog or this haze or this kind of feeling of not really being here. So that's one way that that attitude of delusion might be there. Another way that it might be there is it's actually things seem pretty clear. You're, you're pretty aware of what's going on, but there's a kind of a hidden belief that's not really conscious. Hidden beliefs can function as a, as a, as a filter on how we take information in, what we're doing, and it's a kind of an obscuration that may not be uh, something that... Uh, we're so consciously aware of. So, for instance, um, um, you know, there might be beliefs about uh, what's appropriate and inappropriate based on cultural conditions. 
um, or there might be a sense of what's good or bad, and, and that we wouldn't necessarily have a sense of aversion, but just a kind of, a, oh yes, that's good, that's bad. You know, almost like it feels like it's discernment. But it, it, uh, it may be in the realm of belief as opposed to truth. So sometimes we can explore the, uh, the question of delusion by just checking in what's being believed right now. You know, what's, there, what's being believed as, a, as another kind of um, exploration around this. Um, there's a lot in that terrain, actually, the terrain of beliefs and views and agendas that uh, functions as delusion um, often unseen in our lives. Hang on a sec. Um, And then the fourth attitude is um, balance of mind. Um, So the attitude of no problem, non-reactivity. This... This attitude can be pretty subtle sometimes. It's, it's, it's sometimes no problem doesn't stand out to us as a thing. Um, the flavor of this fourth attitude, it can have so many different feelings to it. In the mind, when there's um, this balance, what might be obvious would be, might be a sense of kindness or compassion, might be curiosity, might be um, um, just this feeling of non-reactivity, of calmness, tranquility, um, connection. So there's a lot of different ways this attitude can be felt. As the, as the mind becomes non-reactive, there's a lot of... Um, wholesome qualities that begin to be cultivated and from time to time the certain qualities of, you know, the four Brahma Viharas are, are, are in this terrain metta, love, compassion uh, joy and equanimity um, a lot of the seven factors are in this terrain interest, uh, investigation um, concentration tranquility um, all of those may be apparent when the mind is balanced. So um, in checking into the relationship to experience, you may not particularly notice anything, and that may be because either um, the relationship is more subtle than you're used to noticing, um, so it could be a kind of subtle form of dislike that's just not really apparent, um, or not very strong, and so it kind of hasn't really percolated up into consciousness. Or it can sometimes be that um, when there is not an apparent attitude, it means that you're in the terrain of calm and non-reactivity, because sometimes those are pretty subtle experiences. Um, so this, this, I just offer this as a, as a piece you may find interesting to explore from time to time in your daily lives if you find a, a period of time when the mindfulness is more continuous and you remember, you know, you may or may not remember, um, but it's just, a, you know, a, a, I think I mentioned the other day that, you know, sometimes what the teachings are, it's just information. Let it go in there and then don't try to remember it, don't try to do it. 
Saira Utejaniya often used to say to me, you know, as I'd come back, he'd tell me something. He would, he would offer some perspective on something I had described and I would go off and I would start trying to do it and, you know, practice with that instruction. And I'd come back and I'd, try, I'd report on that. And he said, are you trying to do that? I'd say, yeah. And he said, well, don't try to do it. Just notice if it, ha- if it starts happening or just notice if it kind of naturally, the mind inclines there. So um, uh, he would often say, what I tell you is not something to do. It's just information that may support you uh, in your practice. And so I think very much in the daily life practice, again, we don't want to add too much doing to our, our day. Um, what I want to support and encourage is a, is a curiosity. I think curiosity is, is a really helpful um, quality that kind of creates the conditions for interest, investigation to more naturally arise without having to do too much. So I'm mostly hoping to spur a sense of curiosity around what's possible to see in daily life and to point to some areas that we can see, we can notice, that can deepen our practice, deepen our understanding. And yet, you know, if you're not, if you're not, um, if it's not occurring to you, if you're not remembering, just let it go. You don't have to, to try to do this. So questions. Uh, there was a, and do you mind if I record the questions and comments about this? Okay. <laughs> so um, I can't really speak to what it would have had, had have been. <laughs> um, I can speculate. Um, you know, just the question, what I'm encouraging here is just dropping in the question and seeing what bubbles up. You know, it, 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 at different points in the practice, uh, earlier in the practice, later in the practice, different things will bubble up around that. So, um, you know, there's not... I can, I can speculate on what might have bubbled up previously, um, um, something along the lines of, what am I believing? This anger is going to make the other person miserable. Um, something like that, perhaps. Um, and it's just revealing, the, the point of it is, is to reveal something that may not be conscious. And um, that supports mindfulness in that um, when things are not conscious, they tend to uh, 
you know, influence, uh, kind of maybe even undermine what's going on in our experience. It's like it's a perspective that is, is functioning, is operating without our being aware of it. As soon as we become aware of things, it creates the conditions for there to be more, more understanding. Okay. I, th- that actually was helpful because in the beginning, I, I tend to um, psychologize. And so I, when I ask such a question, it can get too wordy for my practice. So I've lost... So money. again, I'm, I'm, I'm not encouraging you to think Yes, I it's can. just drop in the question and see what re- what happens. It might not even be a thought; it might be a feeling. Um, you know, just see how the mind and body respond mm-hmm. to that question. You do not. If you find yourself thinking in response to a question, I would let it go. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I accept and really know the value of what you're talking about with dropping the question in and then seeing what happens. And there, there's a part of me that is curious, what is the objection to doing? What, what does doing bring up that is unwanted or unskillful? Uh, so in daily life, the main, the main reason I'm not encouraging too much of a doing is because um, the... the what I hear, you know, is that when people pick up the practice and start trying to do it, very quickly it becomes a burden and they stop. That's the main, the main thing that I'm just wanting to really back off on any expectation that you're going to even remember these things. You know, if you remember it, great. If you, if you notice and remember to drop in the question, great. But, you know, if you're not, if, you, if you've picked it up as a practice and are orienting your mind to say, okay, I'm going to do this practice all day long, you know, it, it often ends up feeling like you failed. Um, and also the piece around uh, the the less doing uh, style of mindfulness be- becoming more of a, of, of a, stu- of a it, it's the kind of awareness that infuses things. Whereas if we're depending on a doing to keep the mindfulness going, again, there's other activities that our mind has to do in daily life, and so it gets lost. So I'm encouraging that form of mindfulness more in this in this week, and there's not a problem particularly with doing um, in practice if it's used judiciously and one doesn't get judgmental about the fact that doing doesn't always work. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I'm a big doer, <clears throat> so the, the word doing, but I thought I under- In our lives, we've learned that... Um, you know, from, from the time that we were born, that depending on what our conditions were, but, you know, we've learned that um, when there's something difficult happening in the world, if we can control it, there's a little bit of ease. And so there's a little bit of a sense of, ah, okay, figured that one out. I could stop that from happening, so I don't have to feel that. And then, you know, it's, it's uh, or if we get something that we like, you know, it's like, oh, that made me feel good. That's the way to go. That's how happiness can be found. And so we end up in this, this cycle where we think that the only way towards happiness is to 
be in this cycle of controlling, getting rid of, getting ourselves away from unpleasant things that we're afraid of or angry about or just don't like, and getting more of the things that we like. So that that pattern has been well practiced by all of us. And um, the medicine that the Buddha points to is the way out of that cycle is to kind of like stop acting on the, the cycle and be curious about the craving, the wanting to get rid of, to have. What is that experience? What is the experience of craving? What we find when we turn to it, when we turn our mindfulness to that. It's like, okay, what does it feel like to want something? What does it feel like? It's like this thing, I don't like this. I want it to be otherwise. So that, that too is a craving. You know, that when we don't like something, there's a craving, a wanting. Sometimes I expressed it to myself as not this, anything but this. It's like, that was the aversive mind. You know, so what did I want? I wanted not this. Uh, when something's pleasant, it's like, yes, I want that. So both sides have that kind of craving. And when you feel into it, ooh, that feeling of the pushing away, the not this, or the, ooh, yes, wanting this, we feel the, the kind of imbalance, we feel the dissatisfactoriness of that feeling itself, which has been obscured by delusion prior to this because of the belief that getting the thing will make me happy, getting rid of the thing will make me happy. And that delusion, that obscuration, that belief, oh, if I get that thing, I'll be happy, it has obscured the fact that there is suffering happening right here and now. Essentially, our, our pattern, our conditioning has been willing to give up happiness in the moment for the some possibility of getting something or getting rid of something in the future. So the practice is turning towards the feeling of the discomfort of that cycle that you describe, the feeling of that reactivity, the turning towards it. And, and you know, there's a little bit of doing there to recognize, okay, this is what it feels like to be a human being that wants not this. This is what it feels like to be a human being that is pushing something away. This, rather than focusing our attention on what it is that w- in the world that we don't like or that we like, turn towards the feeling of what is it to not want this or what is it to want this. One teacher, um, James Barez, talks about a tool or a trick he used to do this. He said, so basically we're looking at what's the human experience of this? You know, this is, it is not, you are not alone in this, in this uh, kind of cycle or this pattern. It's so human. And so the, the, the reflection that um, it is, is what does it feel like to be a human being that's experiencing this? Not how do I feel, but just like this is a human experience. What is this human experience? And James said the trick he used was he said he pretended he was an alien who had been sent to the planet to take up residence in a human being and report back to the mothership, what is it like to be a human being? So here you are, you're this alien. Okay, this is what it feels like when they feel anger. Reporting back. <laughs> this is what it feels like when they feel bliss. Reporting back. So that it's, it's that human experience that we're interested in. And there are times that that perspective of, 
you know, reporting to the mothership is not possible for us because the mindfulness isn't quite strong enough. And so we, we may have to say, okay, right now this is a little overwhelming, so let me put my attention on something else. So the, the you know, the, the exploration and the medicine, it's hard medicine because what we experience when we turn towards that reactivity is the suffering of it. It's hard. It's hard to feel that. And yet, that mindfulness of that suffering held in that container of mindfulness, not reacting to it, and this is why checking the attitude is helpful, because if you're, if you're watching a reactivity, and it's like, how, I can't stand this reactivity, I hate this reactivity, I wish it would go away. If that's how you're watching it, it's kind of like you have to step back and go, okay, there's reactivity, and I don't like it. Okay, that's what's happening. That's what's happening right now. So that there might be a, a little bit of that container of the, the, the mindfulness that can hold it and be that solvent that I've been talking about, the solvent that slowly allows things to let go. Um, but it is, it's challenging to turn towards that suffering. Um, but the, the, the thing that's helpful to recognize, some teachers say that that way of holding that suffering with that mindfulness, with wise mindfulness. It is experienced as suffering, and yet it's a different way of experiencing suffering. Instead of being in the suffering and believing the suffering to be something that um, is demanding that I do something uh, external or internal, how can I fix myself or fix the world? It's more of an allowing, this is the experience, the human experience of suffering. That, sometimes teachers say, that's the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. So we do, uh, still in our practice of mindfulness, we still experience unpleasantness and struggle as we engage and so this is mostly an encouragement to keep, keep exploring or keep working with that unpleasantness. You, you're seeing the cycle and you're seeing how it reinforces itself. And so that, seeing that may help to give a sense of, okay, somebody says there's another way. I mean, when I first heard this kind of thing, you know, it's like I was so caught in my anger, so believing the value of that anger as being somehow productive in my life. And um, the, the instruction will turn and pay attention to what the experience of anger is. It was, it was not clear to me how or why that would be useful. And yet, Nothing else I had tried worked, and so there was a kind of a willingness to explore and experiment with that. And I found the value of that. So um, sometimes we, we have to have kind of a leap of faith in the value of that. And then we also have to be wise and recognize when our mindfulness isn't quite strong enough to meet that reactivity and to find some tools, some strategies that help us to balance, maybe being in nature, um, putting yourself in a situation where you know you can relax, um, listening to music, or something that lets your mind let go of, of its uh, you know, tightness around that reactivity. So. Yes. 
So the question about um, how can one how can one be uh, productive and do this practice, not just be on a retreat where you're just watching your mind all day long, but actually do things. Um, well, first thing I would encourage you is to switch the emphasis of your time this week. Coming off of retreat, it can be easy to uh, kind of just be in the mode of practice. Start doing things. Start being, you know, engaging in the activities that you need to do for your life. And so, so flip that emphasis from the practice to the activities, and then start to explore how can mindfulness move into there. It's possible. It is possible. I spent years as a computer programmer, as a technical writer, doing this practice in my daily life. And when I first began this practice in my daily life, I was, I was working at a development bank in the, in the Peace Corps, and this is where I began my practice. It is absolutely possible to be productive and do this practice. So my, my sense is that, that the, um, the emphasis, partly because you've come off of retreat, you know, it's kind of like that's been, that's been your mode. It's like, okay, on intensive retreat, okay, this is, this is retreat. I can, I can be on intensive retreat. Um, but for the daily life practice, it's really helpful if you're actually having to do things and then seeing how, can, how might the, the mindfulness be able to come alive in there. It probably will feel like there's less mindfulness or there will be less mindfulness, but that's the edge. That's the edge to, to, to cultivate that awareness. Um, so, you know, just some examples. Um, you know, I, I would be sitting at my computer uh, doing computer programming and typing and, you know, I'd be pretty involved. From t- At times, the mind would move into concentration um, and, and lose mindfulness for periods of time. Um, but then there would be these moments when mindfulness returned. And so again, the, noticing the moment mindfulness returns in the midst of whatever you're doing. So you are writing an article or you are, um, um, you know, filling out a form or, you know, something like that. And then mindfulness returns. What's that experience like? Get familiar with what it's like to have mindfulness be there in the midst of whatever you're doing. Um, so, so I, yeah, I would encourage you to flip the, the emphasis of, of the practice this week. I guess what I'm concerned, and maybe it's just in my mind, is if I'm... Meant, get this. So the, the question of when, uh, when mindfulness re-arises in the midst of activity, uh, sometimes it's, it's arising not necessarily around just what you're doing, but, but that... Um, Sometimes there's a recognition of, oh, there's a lot of suffering here. And then the attention turns to that. This is partly why I encourage, I mean, so you take that in, know that. It's like, yeah, you know, you can become aware of that. And in this moment, what's, what's important, I mean, it's kind of like we have to choose our emphasis, and so in this moment, what's important is to continue what I'm doing. So you may be able to expand your attention a little bit. See, that we talked a little bit about expanding awareness last night and, and yesterday uh, to include broader 
experience. So rather than having it all be inward, it's like, yeah, there's this feeling of, of you know, suffering. There's a feeling of ache in the heart. And I'm filling out this form. Can you know both? So that it's not all back inward. And sometimes that inward struggle is strong enough that it would be hard to continue if you continued paying attention to it. And in that case, you may have to set it aside, not repress it. It's kind of like you might say, okay, you can be in the room with me, but we need to fill out this form right now. You can hang out here, but let's keep our attention on this. Uh, so again, it's flipping the emphasis in daily life. And it will, it will get more and more so that you can know both being, you know, with what's happening and knowing how you are at the same time. Something that um, in my own practice I have gained enough confidence in the capacity of this established mindfulness to illuminate whatever's happening. That if there's any belief in the mind that it's not possible to be mindful of something. Not possible to be mindful of that while I'm doing that or I don't believe that thought anymore. It's much more, okay, I don't know how it's possible right now, but there's enough experience to recognize mindfulness has gone places I never thought it would be able to. So how might it be possible? You know, just curiosity about that possibility. 